0: housekeeping time. I developed a free guide that, well, it's called How to Master Spanish, but I hesitated to call it that because I don't want you to think it's only for Spanish. That's what it focuses on, but most of the lessons can be applied perfectly to English or Japanese or German or Klingon. Basically, it forces your brain to learn any language. If you're doubting me and you're thinking you don't wanna join because I'm not a native Spanish speaker, you're only hurting yourself and you don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you need native speakers, but you need all the allies you can get. And non-native speakers have insights into a target language that native speakers don't. So you need both. I had both in my fluency journey, and both have their strengths and weaknesses. Go to the website, join the email list, and you get the free guide. But the how to master Spanish thing isn't even the best part about my email list. There's so much great stuff in there that frankly it's unfair to the competition. I'm just going to leave it at that. But I'll just say the free thingy is like 1% of the reason you should join. Get in right now. DigitalNomad.mx Now let's talk about Malinche. Malinche was born, perhaps, on Mexico's Isthmus, in a town that today is in the state of Veracruz. Haltipan is the most likely of the towns, according to one source. She told Bernal Diaz she was from Painala, but there is no such village anymore. Bernal Diaz is one of the Spanish conquistadors. He wrote a first-hand account of the conquest. Around the late 16th century, people from Haltipan fled from pirates to a place called Painala. At some point early in life, she was sold into slavery and taken to a place called Hicalango. I'm using all these city names because I like to know exactly where all these historical events happened, so I apologize if this sounds a little bit like the Lord of the Rings, but I do it so that people can go online and research this stuff with different keywords besides just Malinche and Cortez. She was probably a native Nahua speaker, but lived in a place where that was not a native language, so she learned a different language. My wife says her mom spoke one language and her dad spoke another, so it's possible that she was bilingual from birth. My wife is not a historian, and I haven't been able to corroborate this. When we're dealing with the historical record on Malinche, there is very little to go on. I mean, there are hundreds of short articles, but when you want to get as close to the facts as possible, the historical record shrinks significantly. Bernal Diaz believed that she was a daughter of nobility, but that didn't prevent her from becoming a slave. Families could use their daughters as leverage to increase their wealth and forge alliances. And this is likely what happened with Malinche. Diaz said that she may have been sold into slavery by her mother so that her son could inherit the lands that otherwise would have been hers. The plot, according to Diaz, involved the murder of a household slave. The family would tell everyone that Malinche died as well, and they would sell her in secret to the slavers. There are many different possibilities within this one little bit of her story, but nothing is certain. Much later, after the fall of Tenochtitlan in about 1525, she was reunited with her mom and her brother. Diaz claims to have gotten to know her brother well after the conquest. Her brother took the European name Lazaro. The taking of Spanish names became more common during this period. and It's a practice that most Mexicans still engage in. There are more Pedros than Cuauhtemocs, for example. We don't know Lazaro's real name, but we do know that he became a chieftain in the region where Malinche was born. Diaz apparently had no doubts about this version of events. He writes, What I have recorded here, I know for certain and can swear to. Eh, okay, dude, whatever. There's also a rumor that her family abandoned her because of her name. Originally, it was something like Malinali or Malinzin, the word Malinali is the, the name for the twelfth day of the Aztec calendar. It's basically a shiv made of grass used to pierce the tongue in penance. Another translation is like a wild animal. Those born under the sign of Malinali would be unlucky, wild, rebellious. Their children would be torn away from them. Is, is that what Malinali meant before the conquest? Is that what pre-conquest Aztecs would have said about that birth sign, or is this another example of Spain rewriting history? I don't know. Malinche is sometimes called the mother of modern Mexico. She gave birth to the first mestizo, mestizo being a child of mixed indigenous and Spanish ancestry. At least that's the legend. I find it more likely that an unknown Spanish soldier impregnated an unknown indigenous woman, forcefully or otherwise, therefore producing an unknown mestizo child born before Malinche and Cortez had Martine. But I could be wrong. The story of Malinche's name and her status as the mother of the first mestizo seems too poetic. But again, I'm not a historian, I just play one on a podcast. Malinche doesn't enter their written histories until March 1519, when Cortez landed in Potonchan, The city had been devastated by a new disease brought two years ago by an earlier Spanish expedition. It was Mexico's first encounter with Europe and with smallpox. The villagers put up resistance, trying to force Cortes and his men to leave, but they lost. As a token of surrender, the chief offered gifts including 20 female slaves, and one of them was Malinche. The women were baptized as Catholics and given Christian names. Hers would be Doña Marina. She was about 18 or 19 and had been a concubine since 13. It is likely that she carried a daughter in her arms when she was given to the Spanish. The women cooked, carried water, tended wounds, and did anything else female slaves had to do. Relatively speaking, Malinche was one of the luckier slaves. She became the property of one man rather than the mass of soldiers. She first passed to a friend of Cortez, and later Cortez claimed her for himself. On the expedition led by Cortes there were of course the slave women from Mexico but also African and Caribbean slaves and several hundred Spanish soldiers and merchants as well as a few people from Portugal and Italy. Some of the men brought their wives and daughters as well. Before Malinche became their interpreter a man called Jeronimo de Aguilar had the job. Jeronimo had a fascinating life since he had been stranded in the Mexican jungle for a few years before being found by Cortes He learned some native languages in those years. So, Jerónimo was the translator until they got to the Nahua-speaking cities, where he was of no use. Diaz writes that they discovered Malinche's abilities when emissaries from Tenochtitlan approached and spoke to them. Nobody understood except Malinche. When they spoke, she pointed at Cortes. That's all we know. We don't know exactly what the emissaries said, we just know that they spoke and she pointed to the leader of the expedition. From that day, Cortes was able to communicate with Moctezuma, but it was an unwieldy process. Moctezuma spoke to Malinche and Nahua. Malinche translated into a Mayan language that Jeronimo understood, and then he translated that into Spanish. And Cortez would reply, and the chain would then go in reverse. This is where things get even more speculative. Most history books seem to operate on the assumption that Cortez's words passed perfectly from him through Jeronimo and Mayan to Malinche and Nahua, and all those words and meanings arrived crystal clear to Moctezuma, who understood what Cortez meant and responded with something that would then pass back through the three languages and individual perceptions to Cortez, who would then understand Moctezuma perfectly. Four people with three different languages and cultures and individual worldviews, Modern day diplomacy is difficult enough with highly skilled translators and lots of bilingual people listening for miscommunications. Translating is very difficult, at least for me, but maybe I'm just an idiot. What I'm saying is I think there was a lot that was lost in translation in this in this translation chain. Here's another little nugget. We don't know where Malinche learned Nahua. It might have been her native language or it might have been something she picked up at some point. We just don't know. It's likely that in Aztec society, women did not participate in public speaking, and we know that Malinche's central role in these meetings shocked the Aztecs. And now I want to bring in an article from Mexico Lore. There will be some overlap, and there might be some conflicting or semi-conflicting facts, but that's how historical research goes. Links in the show notes, as always. And do go check out the article, because it's got lots of historical paintings depicting Malinche. I mean, I say they depict Malinche, but we don't know what she looked like. So they're just paintings of, you know, some woman. And if you have something to add to what I've said in this episode, write me an email, brandon at digitalnomad.mx. Tell me what I missed or tell me whatever you want about Malinche. And if it's good, I might read it on the podcast. Again, brandon at digitalnomad.mx. And now let's read the article from Mexico lore. It is called Making Herself Indispensable, Condemned for Surviving, Doña Marina. It was written by Dr. Francis Cartunin, retired professor of linguistics and senior university research scientist in the Linguistics Research Center at the University of Texas. Dr. Cartunin is a prolific author and expert on Nahua. Doña Marina La Malinche was the multilingual indigenous woman who provided to Hernan Cortes the means of communication necessary to carry Spanish conquest to the heart of 16th century Mesoamerica. While very young, she fell into the hands of Cortes and his men. Her best hope for survival was to make herself useful and agreeable, a strategy she had already learned prior to the arrival of the Spaniards on the scene. In the course of events, she asserted active common cause with the men who held her captive, For that, she has been punished for what seems to be all eternity. Her life experience uniquely prepared her for her role as the most effective and trusted of all the interpreters of the conquest. During the siege of the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan, the Aztecs rejected the first interpreter, the Spaniards, sent to parley with them, and Cortes had to dispatch a boat to the city of Texcoco to fetch Marina before the negotiations could go forward. Her task required both multilingualism and mastery of lordly speech, the complicated mode of expression used by Mesoamerican nobility. These two skills would have been uncommon in a young man, but they should have been entirely non-existent in a young woman. Daughters of Mesoamerican nobility lived very restricted lives. Closely guarded, they were rarely permitted to leave their residences, and they were prohibited from speaking freely. Under such circumstances, becoming a childhood bilingual was out of the question. The girl's life was, however, atypical. As a child in an outpost between Central America and the lowlands of the Yucatan, she apparently was raised in a Nahuatl-speaking noble household. Then, while still very young, she somehow passed into the hands of Maya-speaking Chontal people of the neighboring region of Akalan. There she became proficient in her master's maya. The people of Acalan, in turn, included her in a group of 20 young women. They presented to Cortes as part of a bribe to get him to move on in search of the Aztec ruler Moctezuma and his realm. The women were said to be given to the Spaniards for the purpose of preparing their food. Cortes had them all baptized as Christians before making a gift of each of the women to one of his men. This was when Marina acquired the name we know her by. It has been said that prior to baptism, her Nahual calendrical name had been Malinali, bunch of grass, and that Marina was the Spanish name closest to that in pronunciation. But this is unlikely. The Spanish name Marina would, however, have been pronounced by Nahual speakers as Malina, and the Nahual honorific suffix tzin, t-z-i-n, was heard and pronounced by Spanish speakers as Che. So by back formation, Nahual malincin," from Spanish Marina returned to Spanish as Malinche. Recognizing her claim to high birth, the Spaniards invariably referred to their interpreter as Doña Marina. In his great adventure story of the conquest, written decades after the events, aged conqueror Bernal Diaz del Castillo relates a meeting between Doña Marina and her noble birth family. In this story, mother and daughter share a marked resemblance, and Doña Marina speaks forgivingly to her mother while stating that she is glad to have become a Christian and to serve Cortez. The words that Diaz del Castillo puts in her mouth are nearly the only ones directly attributed to her by a contemporary. She's also represented as speaking some words in the Florentine Codex, which was also compiled decades after her death. At the outset, when she was baptized, Cortez did not know that Marina spoke anything but the Acalan variety of Maya. Shortly afterward, he learned that she could interpret between Maya speakers and Nahual speakers. He immediately took her back from Alonso Hernandez de Puerto Carrero, the man to whom he had given her, and set her to work as part of an interpreting chain. Marina spoke to Nahual-speaking emissaries sent by Moctezuma and translated what they told her to Jerónimo de Aguilar, a Spaniard who had learned Maya while a castaway from a shipwreck on the Yucatan coast. Aguilar then translated from Maya to Spanish for Cortez. The two-step interpretation continued for a while, but apparently Marina quickly acquired Spanish, and thereafter she served as sole personal interpreter for Cortes. Nahual speakers apparently associated no prior meaning to Malincin, and according to Diaz del Castillo, they used the word to refer both to the young indigenous woman and to Cortez, and even by extension to other Spanish men who acquired some facility in Nahual. Diaz del Castillo speculated that this was because Cortez and his interpreter were always together and inseparable. Aztec religious practice was pervaded by dualism and also made use of impersonators of supernatural beings. However, people who seemed from the Spanish point of view to refer to both Marina and Cortez as Malinche may have believed that Malintzin was a single, hitherto unknown supernatural being for whom both Marina and Cortez functioned as mouthpieces in the human world. During the combat of the conquest, Marina was on hand night and day to interpret between the Spanish and various indigenous groups. Because of the pervasive power of the Aztec Triple Alliance, if the people in question were not Nahual speakers, there was always an interpreter to be found to translate from their language into Nahual. And Marina then translated from Nahual into Spanish. On a campaign across the base of the Yucatan Peninsula, she translated from various regional dialects of Maya directly into Spanish. The most dramatic moment in her career was at the first encounter of Moctezuma and Cortes. Despite all the Aztec rulers' efforts to divert them, the Spanish forces had reached his capital, and Moctezuma came face to face with their leader. According to later accounts, Moctezuma delivered a speech in the most courtly of lordly speech, perhaps dripping with irony, which Marina had no difficulty interpreting to Cortes. Cortes responded with a blunt speech that Marina transmitted to Moctezuma devoid of any of the honorific adornments due his personage. Then Cortes sought to enfold Moctezuma in an embrace which the ruler's attendants prevented. From that moment, if not before, Moctezuma's power was drained from him, and Marina had been the instrument by which this was accomplished. In the course of the conquest, Cortes, who had a Spanish wife in Cuba, fathered three daughters by three different indigenous women. One of them was a daughter of Moctezuma, a girl whom the Aztec ruler in his last days had entrusted to the protection of Cortes. Marina, on the other hand, was too crucial to the success of the conquest to be sidelined by pregnancy, and it appears that Cortes may have refrained from using her sexually until the fighting was over. Thereafter, Marina bore him a son, Martin, whom Cortes put into the care of one of his kinsmen. Before the overland campaign through Maya territory, Cortes arranged for Marina to be married to Juan de Jaramillo, one of his lieutenants, and provided a handsome dowry. During the arduous trek through the rainforest and over trackless mountains, Marina became pregnant for the second time and gave birth to Jaramillo's daughter, Doña Maria. Not long after this, Marina died still young and without seeing her children grow up. Having no personal memory of their mother either, Don Martín Cortés, Doña María Jaramillo, and their children nonetheless strove to keep alive a positive memory of her through probanzas, applications for pensions from the Spanish king in recognition of her service to the crown. Although Marina's children and grandchildren put together documentation to demonstrate the praiseworthiness of Marina's role in the conquest, other forces were coming to bear to destroy her reputation. There seems to have been no doubt of her unwavering loyalty to Cortes and the Spaniards under his command. Far from attempting to escape from them, she was credited by the Spanish chroniclers with taking the initiative in finding out plots against the Spaniards and warning them. According to the narrative of the conquest, she chose not to avail herself of the opportunity to switch sides and to help the indigenous people defeat the Spaniards. This has given rise to the concept of malinchismo, the betrayal of one's own native identity through infatuation with the new and foreign. In this view, Marina was opportunistic at the expense of people with whom she would be expected to identify. After Mexico broke away from Spain in the early 1800s, her role as La Gran Conquistadora, who brought Christian enlightenment and salvation to the benighted heathens, was exchanged for that of Mistress of Cortez, a woman who used her sexuality to achieve her own ends. Ultimately, this identity as La Malinche became merged with that of La Llorona, a ghostly, weeping woman who lures men to their deaths and wails in the night for her children, in whose death she herself has been complicit. In visual and literary representation, Marina, in the guise of La Malinche, has been grossly sexualized and made into a Mesoamerican Medea who kills her own children to punish Cortez for abandoning her. In fact, Cortes, having given his own father's name to their son, successfully petitioned to have young Don Martin legitimized, sent him to Spain, and saw him invested as a knight of St. James. Malanchismo is a social construct that serves Mexican nationalism, but it is a classic case of blaming the victim. Marina's son and daughter were not the first children born of indigenous mothers and Spanish fathers. Many young indigenous women fell into the hands of the Spaniards, and few survived for long. Their mestizo offspring and descendants struggled through centuries to eventually become the backbone of modern, independent Mexico. How can this long and tragic history be placed at the feet of a very young woman who had been deprived of her identity before the Spaniards even came onto the scene? Marina's inevitable fate was rape, not the making of tortillas. She had absolutely no choice about whether she would be sexually used and very little control of by whom. When she was given to Cortez, she had no one to turn to, nowhere to flee, no one to betray. She was not Aztec, not Maya, not Indian. For some time already, she had been nobody's woman and had nothing to lose. That made her dangerous, but it says nothing about her morality. This is no love story, no tale of blind ambition and racial betrayal, no morality play. It is the record of a linguistically gifted woman in impossible circumstances carving out survival one day at a time.